0: to evangelize, right? We're all called preachers. Did you know that? We're all called to preach the gospel to every creature. We're not all called the pastor, but we're all called to preach the gospel. It's a command. It's not even a, it's more than a calling. It's a command. God c- commands us to preach the gospel to every creature. We're looking at Exodus, but we're going to start out in Romans chapter nine today. Romans chapter nine, which is a, uh, Quotes quite a bit of Exodus, Romans chapter 9, verse 15. I heard about a preacher called to a nursing home to do a wedding. One of his former members called and said, can you come and I want to get married? And he showed up and he asked him, well, is she a Christian? He said, I'm not sure. He said, do you love her? He said, I don't know. He said, how long have you known her? He said, I can't remember. He said, well, what in the world do you want to marry her for? He said, because she can drive at night. (laughs) Oh, boy. Once again, we see God defeat the Egyptian gods. I've said our calendar for uh, our Sunday mornings is going to go through the Passover. And uh, two weeks before Easter Sunday, we will preach the first of those three feasts and the week before, the second, and then we'll do the Passover feast. So I have a, a, a schedule and an agenda and a plan, if you didn't think I did. <clears throat> We're going to go through the Passover in Egypt's Exodus. And that's it's just great stuff. Of course, it's the Word of God. But we see again another one of these plagues. And once again, God is defeating these Egyptian gods. They had a a god of the sky and a god of the storm god and a crop god because the crops would be ruined by this hail. And they had the queen of heaven, a goddess. And we see this in Revelation chapter 8 in the trumpet judgments. Hail will come during that time. And we know in the second half of the tribulation, the vile judgments will come. And it says the hailstones there will weigh a hundred pounds plus. What a storm that's going to be. These meteorites or meteors will come from heaven. But in Revelation chapter 16, similar to here, when, they, when the storm comes, the hail comes, the sinners will not repent. They will blaspheme God, the Bible says. Of course, they've chosen the mark and their fates are sealed. But And those are Jews, by the way, that are being judged in the tribulation period. The tribulation is all about getting Israel saved. You know, I love uh, the chosen people. I'm reading Bibi Netanyahu, Netanyahu's book today and or this week and reading his story. And what, the, the story of his, his battles, uh, you know, military battles in 67 and 73 and his parents' battle, 48 and all that. Just great stuff. Love Israel. They're God's chosen people. They're chosen as a nation. And one day they will be saved. We are chosen individually. Did you know that God chose you? You say, well, I repented. He, you did. You repented and trusted him, but he also chose you. He knew before the foundation of the world you'd be his child. He knew you'd be here today, and he knew what I'd preach today, so I pray this is a blessing to you. But instead of changing and repenting, they curse God. Now, this is all about God's judgment on the Egyptians. This particular one, the children of Israel are, spared the judgment. He's trying to get the Egyptians to understand he's the one true God. And, of course, another severe judgment. I love what it says in Scripture. Romans tells us the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Sometimes during hardship, people come and they want to be saved, but they're not sincere a lot of times. They're in trouble. And God knows the hearts. I was uh, thought it was interesting down in uh, McDonough, Georgia, where I preached the pastor and I went out to lunch and I shared some of my challenges. And he shared a story about his wife. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Uh, They were in ministry for, like me, 40-plus years. He's 66, same age as I. And he said, a few years ago, my wife had gone off to be with her parents and went to church with them and came back and said, Honey, I got saved this weekend. And he's like, What are you talking about? And she said, I don't want to embarrass you, but I need to be rebaptized because I got saved. He said, she said, my mother led me to the Lord when I was five years old, but I got down and realized I truly never had a born-again experience. Well, she had been teaching Bible studies and all that, and now she gets saved. And I thought, that is awesome that she would humble herself. You know, if you're here today, you're not, not a believer. Don't be so proud you can't come forward and say, hey, I've been playing the part. Because there's a lot of hypocrites in the church, right? People who play act as though they're saved, and maybe they're dependent on a prayer they prayed, repeating after a counselor. But let me tell you what. Salvation is an experience with God. When you're born again, he moves in and takes up residence, and there's a change. Old things are passed away, and behold, and you know you're a Christian by the fact that you're Christ-like. That's what Christian means, and you're living for God. And so I challenge you today, as we read Romans chapter 9, verses 15, examine your hearts. You know your heart, and God does. Examine it this morning. (laughs) Excuse me. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show thee, show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he hath mercy, and whom he will not, he and whom he will he hardeneth. We know the Bible said he hardened Pharaoh's heart. God turns the king's heart in any direction he chooses. To manipulate him for God's purpose and God's glory. Isn't that something? Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And that you breathed on 40 men. And Moses was one of these 40. In Paul, who wrote Romans, was another. And you breathed on them. You inspired them to write. Whether you gave them a dream or a vision or spoken in an audible voice, it happened. And we have our are in our hands today, your word. Bless us as we study it. And hide me behind the cross. Speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. I'm probably gonna have to stop and have one big cough to get whatever it is out of my throat, but... Here we have several things in the text. We have a discourse with God. We have the destruction of Egypt by the hail, And then we have the disingenuous Pharaoh. I mean, he's just disingenuous. And once again, we see God working on him, but he's not submissive yet. And we pick up in verses 13 and 14, and we see the Lord God, that's Elohim Yahweh. Elohim is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. Uh, Yah- so Yahweh is the El- is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. Elohim is the name of the plurality of God, in Genesis one one in the beginning. Elohim, remember, and and then he says, "Let us make man in our image." And the Spirit moved on the face of the waters, and so we see the triune God throughout Scripture. The Trinity didn't begin. In, in, uh, you know, in the New Testament or in Bethlehem, it, it was something that's eternal, it's always been. And so here we see Yahweh, the covenant name of the Old Testament, the I am of the Old Testament. And he will have a name when he's born in Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and that name would be Jesus, meaning Savior. And by that name, the only name whereby men can be saved. But here we have Yahweh, Yahweh. And the rest of the plagues, it says in verse fourteen, would be would be upon Pharaoh's heart, upon his servants and his people, not the Jews. And that's the purpose, it says in verse fourteen, it says here in nine fourteen, excuse me, chapter nine, for I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people. And why? What's the purpose of the plagues? That thou mayest know there's no other God besides me no other true god there's false gods only one god now in verse 15 he says he's going to stretch out his hand and bring about this plague thank you rice <clears throat> he's going to bring about this plague in verse uh, 15, and we know scholars tell us in the Greek language, and I, and excuse me, the Hebrew, which I've taken, but I'm not scholarly about it. They say this is an if clause, a conditional clause here that he's telling them ahead of time that he's going to do this if he doesn't repent. Look at verse 18. It says, behold, tomorrow. So in other words, in verse 15 and 16, verse 15, excuse me, he's saying, this is going to happen if you don't repent. Listen, wake up, sinners. If you're lost today, it's time to repent. I mean, God has has certainly spoken to you by the voice of your conscience and creation. And here he's speaking to the Egyptians supernaturally. And in verse 16, we have this great lesson in theology. He says, for this cause, Pharaoh, I have raised you up. On the screen, you have Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. If not, they'll put it up there in a moment. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Look at this verse and make a note of it mentally in your mind. He says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. We understand that. But it says here, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Here, Pharaoh is a power, isn't he? He's an authority is what the word means. He's a, he's a Pharaoh. That's a title. That's a title. And he's in authority. But his authority is given to him by God. And there's no power in this world that's not given by God. You say, well, I have a corrupt sheriff or a crooked politician. God understands. And God will manipulate them for his purpose and glory. Why do we fret so much? Christians are always fretting about politics. And I constantly hear people upset. And they're all worked up, and I understand that. None of us agree with all this transgender garbage. If I had a female daughter, female, all daughters are female. Wow, they've affected me, haven't they? If I had a daughter and presently in the sports arena, and they put a guy on the field, I'd be pretty upset if my daughter got hurt. That would anger me. And we understand all that, but we have to have faith. That God's in control. And for us, everything works together for good. Not everything is good. But we know God has a plan. And all this junk in our world, we fret. We fret. What does the Bible say? Fret not because of evildoers. God's still on the throne. He's still in control. We need to quit fretting. He said, for this cause I've raised you up, in verse 16, Pharaoh, to show my power and that my name will be declared. You know God's still going to display his power and declare his name. I know in the tribulation period, boy, he's going to send some mighty signs, isn't he? 21 judgments. He's going to send Moses and Elijah, and they're going to be killed and raised back up, raised from the dead. And the Jews are going to see these signs and realize he was the Messiah. We missed it. It's the one with the nail-scarred hands. He's the Savior of the world, and they're going to accept him. But right now, Pharaoh is rebelling against God. Verse 17, he says, you're exalting yourself. You're opposing my people, keeping the Jews as slave. They're a chosen people. They need to go to the chosen land, which, by the way, is theirs. Every bit of it. As I said on Wednesday night, it really irritates me when I read an article on the Jerusalem Post that our government's telling the Israelis not to build settlements in their own land. This little tiny piece of land they have, they're supposed to have all the way to the Euphrates River, the Mediterranean, the River of Egypt, and the, and the cedars of Lebanon. They have this little sliver of land, you know, 100,000 square miles, and the Arabs around them have 100 square miles. And they want that little piece of land and those people to be extinct, to get rid of them. And we ought to stand with Israel. Why? Here Pharaoh is rising up, standing against, opposing God's people. What does Genesis say? I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Listen, our country needs to stand behind Israel. Amen? You say, well, I work with a guy, he's Jewish, I don't like him. I didn't say you had to like individual Jews. You have to love them as sinners. But you have to recognize the children of Israel are God's chosen people. And one day, he's going to send that Jew back. Uh, yeah, my, my friend of mine, Jewish, went up to see my pastor one time and said, I went to see your pastor up in Michigan. He'd heard him on Moody. He wanted to meet him and all that and see his library. And he said, do you have time for a little Jewish man this morning? And my pastor said, I already spent time with a little Jewish man this morning. <laughs> I did as well. How about you? Do you pray for our service? Do you spend time with the Lord? I love that. He's my Savior. He's a little Jew. What a wonderful Savior he is. But he gives him time to repent in verse 18. And In verse 19, he says, here's what's going to happen. And he, he said, you need to gather your cattle and everything in the field and get them out of the field and put them under shelter or they're going to die. They're going to die. And verse 20, we see this destruction, but there were some believing Egyptians. It says in verse 20, some of the servants of Pharaoh, some of the Egyptians did realize God's going to judge and they'd get their cattle under shelter and they'd get under shelter. So there were some Egyptians that believed. Today, there's a, about 10% of Egyptians are, are Christian people. I like that. And the gospel's penetrating them. Back then, the Jews had an influence And Judaism was being accepted. They were accepted that that these people had a Messiah. And they were accepting the Messiah. So some Egyptians were saved. But notice verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch forth thy hand. And there'll be hell on the land. And on the beast and every herb, the crops are going to be killed. And this is going to humiliate the Egyptians, gods. And prove that Jesus, I, I say Jesus, Yahweh, who we know to be Jesus later, is the one Savior of the world. And that's what God's trying to do today. When God sends a catastrophe, oftentimes people look up. When God sends trials our way, we look up. Unfortunately, we're faithful in prayer when we're going through a difficult time. When things are easy, we don't pray. But here are the Egyptians. He's going to get their attention. And and basically, he says to them, you need to obey or suffer the consequences. The hell is going to come and it's going to destroy your crops. And here we find these three plagues. Look at verse 24, and on the screen you'll find Revelation 8-7. Verse 24 says, So there was hail and fire mingled with hail. Very grievous, worse than ever in all of Egypt's history. On the screen you see Revelation chapter 8 and verse 7. This hail and fire of the future. So Egypt was getting a thing, uh, just a little bit of what's to come. Did you know during the tribulation there's going to be a hailstorm like that? Devastating hailstorm. Look at chapter 16, verse 21 of Revelation. Again, these hailstorms, hailstones so large that they break the trees. In our text, it says here, and the hail smote throughout the land of Egypt, verse 25, and both in the field and the beast killed them all. And these were massive hailstones because a hailstorm wouldn't kill a, 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 a cow or a horse or a camel or a donkey, I should say. These had to be huge hailstones. And it says it broke the trees of the field. In Exodus, it'll happen again in Revelation chapter 16. There's a storm coming. I won't be here during that storm. Why? I'm a child of God. I'm not appointed to wrath. In John chapter 4, John looks down from heaven. And John's saying, I I look down. He sees all these things from chapter 4 through chapter 18 happening to Israel. But John's been caught up. The church will be in heaven. Thank God we won't go through the tribulation period. We'll be in heaven. But boy on the earth, it's gonna be a hailstorm, and all these other judgments coming. Here the Egyptians are suffering. God's getting their attention. He'll get the Jews attention in chapter eight and 16 of Revelation. I was reading this week, thought this was interesting. I know I've been reading about China, and you have. They're wanting to develop a space station to shoot meteors and meteorites out of the sky. I read this week, about, according to NASA, <clears throat> last Wednesday, this, this 21st is the article, so I guess it's about the 16th or so, uh, a meteor the size of uh, four small elephants, I guess just one small big elephant, I don't know, hit Texas, that the, the weight of it uh, wasn't as great as the fact that the speed of it was equivalent to eight tons of TNT. This is just last week in Texas. We don't hear about it uh, because we don't, they don't want to scare us. But there's a storm coming. But before that storm comes, Jesus is coming. I believe there's a falling away in the church today. I believe the church is basically lukewarm I mean, I can remember pastoring a church, a big church, I understand that, but we would have 40 to 60 people every Thursday night to go out visiting. Why? We really believed that evangelism was necessary. And now we, we don't even encourage visitation. We encourage it, but we don't see visitation in churches because if you have a visitation, nobody shows up. Oh, they all say, well, we'll witness at work. And we'll evangelize our neighbor and our coworker, but where are they? I doubt we have more than a few sinners in the house of God today, if any at all. No one's saying amen. Why? Because we're all guilty. We could all say, oh me. I don't, I don't need amens. I know this is truth, and you do as well. We're supposed to evangelize and share with the world before the tribulation comes that we're going to be taken out. The church is going to be gone. These people need to wake up and be saved. So on the screen, you see both chapter 7, verse 4. Look up there. We see the Pharaoh so disingenuous. In verse 26, notice it says, Israel spared. He always spares a remnant. And then we see the disingenuousness of Pharaoh. Verse 27, and Pharaoh said, excuse me, it says here, and Pharaoh... Sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Wow, that sounds good. But like Nebuchadnezzar, who three times recognized God's greatness before he finally recognized that God is the true God and if he was saved at that time, it was the third time. Here, Pharaoh's acting like he's really concerned because he's sinned. He's upset, and he says, I- I've done the wrong thing. But God knew his heart, and even Pharaoh knew it was disingenuous. On the screen, you see chapter 7, verse 4. Where God knew talk is cheap, and, and he says, I've sinned. But remember in 7, 4, God said, Pharaoh will not listen. He's not going to listen to you. So God knew He was going to do this, and Moses understood this. He wasn't serious, was he? Do you know how many people today make decisions that aren't serious? You know, when someone comes and says, Pastor, I want to be saved, that's, those are great words to hear. Oftentimes I find out that person's in a lot of trouble. They're in a failed marriage, they're financially at the end of the rope. they're they're, they're on drugs or alcohol and they feel if I just cry out to God, you know, I can get helped out of my temporary situation. Let me say something. Being born again is not just help from a temporary situation. It's turning your life over to the Lord and saying, Lord, be my Lord. I, I can't be on the throne of my life anymore. I mess up. God, save me. I will live for you. I'll commit myself to you. I'll be in church. I'll read my Bible. I'll witness. I'll pray. God, I'm done with my leadership in my life. I need you, Lord. When you get to that place, God knows you're sincere or not. I was saved at 12, and I knew I was saved. I began to change, but I got to my teenage years, And I began to live with the world. I was a coward, a compromiser. And a couple of big events in my life changed me. And I realized I've got to live for God and quit playing around with God. Notice on the screen, chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh was so arrogant. He first spoke to Moses. He said this, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Remember in his arrogance, the pharaohs were believed, they thought they were gods. They have all these other gods. I mean, they're so arrogant to think you're gods. Remember the Greeks too, they, all these Greek legends and all these great Greek people who, they die and then they made their li- make their life into some great thing and they become gods and they put them on statues in the Romans. All these people believed their leaders were gods. This is something that's gone on for years and years and years. Even today there are people who believe their leaders were somehow gods. And there are, there are amazing all the different gods. But here it says, he says, who, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I'm a Pharaoh. I don't need God. Today we have people in our world, I don't need God. I've got really great health insurance. I'm young and healthy. I have a good IRA, a good retirement. I'm debt free. I have everything a heart could wish for. I don't need God. That's Pharaoh. He had everything. <clears throat> he didn't think he needed God. But oh, did he need God. Without God, life is short. And it's not always sweet. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little while. All of you in a hundred years will be gone. And you'll be with God. You'll, the Bible says... It's appointed on men once to die and then the judgment will all appear before the Bema seat. That's the word Bema there. We had better do something for God. I don't want to be empty handed in heaven. I need to work harder to do something for God. Here he says, I have sinned and, and, and the Lord is righteous. The Lord is just. He's righteous. And he says, will you pray, in verse 28, pray for me that this, this ends. Notice these words. Pray there be more, no more mighty thunderings. Mighty thunderings. In the original, that's the voice of Elohim. Some people say when it thunders and lightnings, that's the voice of God. Well, this was. And this came from God. God's speaking. You know how God speaks today through your Bible He'll lead us by his Holy Spirit, but he gives us his written word. Now, when someone comes to me and says, now the Spirit led me to do something, and it doesn't line up with this book, I say to them, that wasn't the Holy Spirit leading you to do that. Because he'll never guide us apart from this book. This is how God speaks. And these things have I written unto you, that you may know you have eternal life. If you're doubting your salvation, you're not reading this enough. Get in this book. In it are all the answers to life. And and these these things are written that we may know. And and Pharaoh, he's lost. And and Moses can see right through this. In verse 30, Moses says, okay, I'll pray, yet ye will not fear the Lord God. I'm going to go and pray that this thing stops, but you're not going to fear God. Remember, God told Moses he'd stiffen his heart. Wouldn't be till the death of his firstborn before he finally gets right. And he doesn't get saved. We don't know anything about his heart, but we know he lets the children of Israel go. And what happens? They're going across the desert, and he says, i got to stop them. So he doesn't repent. All these gods. I was reading um, this week uh, (coughs) the mummified mermaid of Japan who's been worshipped for 40 years was found to have been made by a man in the late 1800s. They had this thing made of fish parts. They had fish bones, and this thing was created in the 1800s, and the Japanese worshipped it for 40 years. Now, most Japanese people worship their ancestors. When you go to Japan and you walk around the tombs, they'll have food out there. Once a year, they'll put some food out there. And, of course, dogs come and eat the food. And they say, well, they got the nutrients out of them anyway. You don't see the food disappear unless it's a dog, but they get nutrients, they say. So they worship their ancestors. In Thailand, they worship the golden corral god. Who's that? Buddha. You know, the big guy with a stomach. I love that place, unfortunately. It doesn't love me. And I eat too much. But... The fact of the matter is all these gods, and all the Asians work in Buddha, and, 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 and Allah, you know, Allah, Allah is our God. Here are the Egyptians who were polytheists, now they worship Allah. All these gods, there's only one true God. And God's wanting to make a point to Pharaoh. You're not a God. All these other gods are false. I'm the one and only true God. And I love John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. For there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. There's not a bunch of avenues, other ways. There's no other Messiahs, no other Saviors, only one. Only one. And so we find him going back, verse 34. The crops are destroyed, but the plague ends. And look at verse 34. And Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, and he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So once again, he goes right back to his old ways. Sound familiar? Maybe you, yourself, in your Christian walk have said, God, this year... I'm going to change. I'm going to do this and that. And I'm going to get involved in church and roll up my sleeves and go to work. And I'm going to witness. I'm going to read my Bible through this year. And then by February 25th, it's all gone. Or maybe you're here today and you got in a lot of trouble and you got saved, quote unquote. But you didn't repent. And you went right back to your old ways. You know what? You'll go hell to hell just the same. The wages of sin is death. And if you don't know Jesus, you're lost and you're going to perish. Our commitments sometimes are empty. We have trials. We throw in the towel. Sometimes we have problems. We get saved. We'll go to the altar. We'll make a decision. And that's great. We go right back to our seat and right back to our car. And the next day, we're back to our old ways. God knows the sincerity of our hearts. He knew Pharaoh wasn't sincere. And Moses could see through it and said, you're not changing. You don't fear God at all. And it's time as believers, we fear God. It's not preached much today either. Do you fear God? I do. He's my heavenly father. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, When I'm not living right, He'll chasten me. I fear that. He speaks in that still small voice and warns me about what I do. I remember so many times in my Christian experience, I'd be doing something and He would speak to me and I wouldn't change. And finally, my dad would catch me and He'd make a change. He'd give me the Board of Education. He'd say, Bend over, son, it's time to meet the board. But when God chases us, the Bible says it's grievous. Sometimes we're humiliated and crushed because we're playing this thing of religion. And God sees through our heart just as much as he sees through Pharaoh's heart. He sees your heart. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows whether you're saved or not. And you need to check up. Make sure you're saved. I'm not trying to cause you to doubt. But the fact is, make sure you know him and the power of his resurrection. Because we know Scripture clearly teaches He is the God of gods, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And salvation doesn't come any other way but by Him. He's the one and only way of salvation. And when I don't live right, He'll chasten me. Thank God I'm living right now. I don't want that chasten anymore. I don't even like that lack of peace when I do some little thing wrong. And I feel that yuck, and I begin to get anxiety, and I pray, and I say, God, I'm sorry. He always tells me what it is. So it's always right on the front of your mind what you've done wrong. That's the thing about God. Boy, he lets you know. He lets you know whether that's flesh or spirit, that constant battle. Pharaoh was lost. God could see through it. If you're here today and not a believer, he sees through it. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're just not sincere... You live in the Christian life. He, he knows all about it. Today would be a good day to say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live for God. Hey, your whole family, your parents may say, we're done with you. Your siblings may say, we don't want anything to do with you. You're a religious fanatic. That's okay. You'll be part of a family with an almighty God who loves and cares for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For the example of Pharaoh, while a bad example, we learn from him. If there's anyone here today who's lost, I pray they just come to this altar to be saved. And if there's a believer here who says, I've been playing the part too long, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to come forward today and make a decision to stand for you. To dare to be a Daniel, to live different. And our altars are open for any reason, church doors, altars. We just pray that you have total control of this service in every moment, every week, and today. Bless now in Jesus' name.